Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. everybody today we are talking about the 1997 black comedy crime drama suicide kings not to be confused with the detroit hip-hop group of the same name oh yeah i forgot about those guys this is a movie for christopher walken fans definitely 100 yeah. percent. back then like they had those little magazines in the in the movie rental places and this was in one of those like a little thing and as as you know i was reading it and yeah it's christopher walken da, da, da. and um i was like I, they had me at christopher walken yeah absolutely yeah. i'm the same way this is definitely a departure from the the kind of movies we normally talk about though and it's worth the trip yeah most definitely uh basically a movie about a bunch of half-assed rich frat boys who try to kidnap a retired mob boss. <laughs> <laughs> this was based on a short story by Dan or Don Stanford called The Hostage. The movie was made on a budget of $5 million. It made about $1.7 million at the box office. It's rated R. It's a long movie. It runs an hour and 46 minutes. Well, most of it's flashback, too. There's a lot of flashback. If you're fans of flashback, this is your f- movie. Oh, yeah. It has a 33% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, but it also has a 74% audience score. So who cares about critics? Yeah, it's like a murder mystery whodunit kind of type thing. And it's really cliched. It's like it's just one cliche sewn together into a quilt. but. If you're like, if you like mafia movies, if you like the uh, whodunit, if you like uh, flashback mystery shits, this is right up your alley. And so this is going to get like, you know, standing applause. Now, know? part of the part of the reason that it has such a low critic score, I would imagine, is because at least in the first part of this movie, the mob boss character is not believable at all. Yeah, no. Uh, it's like that. Yeah, but we'll get into that. Yeah, movie was written by Gina Goldman, Wayne Allen Rice, and Josh McKinney. Josh McKinney has no other credits. This is his only only thing. So he must have just thrown something in there, and they offered him a credit as as, as a way of paying him. Gina Goldman had worked on Simon and Simon, The Wonder Years, and Dear John, a little-known, short-lived Judd Hirsch film, uh, TV show that I, I kind of yeah. liked. I remember that, yeah. And Wayne Allen Rice. Simon and Simon better, though. Yeah, I definitely remember Simon it's... and Simon uh, a lot better. Yeah. Wayne Allen Rice is better known as a producer. He was a producer on Dude, Where's My Car?, Chasing Liberty and Mother's Day. Chasing Liberty was all right. Uh, dude, where's my car? Yeah, God, man. That's just, yeah. That's Don't. a painful movie. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, the movie was based on a short story by Don Stanford. He wanted to be a writer in the 50s. He published some <laughs> short stories and a novel in the late 50s and early 60s while working on other jobs and trying to raise a family because he was not making it as a writer. Um, so when it became absolutely clear he was never going to be a successful writer, he went to work for the state of Louisiana, where he re- eventually retired as the public relations manager for the Office of Child Support. So this is kind of an okay story written by kind of an okay writer turned into a movie that was a lot of fun. Oh, uh, yeah. Movie was directed by Peter O'Fallon. He directed a few TV shows, mainly series that appeared on FX. He has directed Unreal, Mysterious Ways, and a whole bunch of commercials. Uh-huh. And the way some of the shots in this movie are set up, yeah, you can see that. Yeah, they, they do look like uh, 
like uh kind of like uh those weird perfume ads from like the late 90s early 2000s well the one thing that got me is all of the action always takes place in the exact center of the screen just like a tv commercial yeah and the lighting's like fucking weird not bad yeah. but weird yeah heightened you know like shit's really dark and then the stuff that's in in light or in the foreground and stuff is really bright you know shining and uh, and you know there were probably some some conversations between the director and cinematographer Peter Baffa where the cinematographer just said fine that's the way you want it because this guy knows what he's doing Christopher Baffa worked on Running with Scissors Glee American Horror Story The Closer Kim Possible and High School Musical, The Musical, The Holiday Special. Damn. So, like, pretty much like everything that's been on TV the last couple of decades. Yeah. 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 Movie stars Christopher Walken as Carlo Bartolucci or Charlie Barrett. Christopher Walken, best known for being Christopher Walken. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. He's got 140 film and TV credits. From 1953 to present, including The Deer Hunter, Pulp Fiction, Wayne's World, Seven Psychopaths, Biloxi Blues, Batman Returns, and Severance. You ever see Seven yeah. Psychopaths? Uh, nah. Yeah. That's think, a pretty decent movie. I just remember that one time in uh, McBain where he just rolled down a, a window on a plane and shot a jet with a pistol. <laughs> and. <it> went, <laughs> that movie's like over the top though it's he's like a superhero but he's not he's like a i don't know he's like, he's like an action superstar but it's yeah. christopher Walken, so he's really smooth about it nice. and you know uh and the more cowbell thing they'll never yes. live um, never never ever next we got dennis leary as lano vecchio Dennis Leary, of course, known for Rescue Me, which has won a ton of awards. The Ice Age franchise and Demolition Man. I remember most of Dennis Leary's stand-up. I really liked him as a stand-up. Yeah, I just remember him being an asshole. Because, <laughs> you know, the song. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I used should to make a song him. about that. <laughs> I used to love, uh, like, because like, that's all his, his, like, how he got real big was, like, he did his like little stand up bits like right. in between videos on MTV and then yeah. he did a lot on him. Comedy Central back in the early days when it first became Comedy Central too. Yeah, back before South Park and shit back when I started like Mystery Science Theater on there and shit. I remember that. Yeah. And you do like uh I don't know. He's a good actor though. Uh Yes, yes he is. That's it, uh, that yeah, but the standby was it it's not standby me. Rescue me. He's a firefighter. Yeah, I watched a couple of uh, seasons, and that was pretty good. There's a couple of movies where he's actually, because like most of the time he's in a movie, like this one, he's just like a bit part or something. Right, right. And he's not the center of the movie, but like there's a couple of movies where he's the center, and he's really good. There's this one I remember. Uh, he, he's a, a married couple, and they're fighting, and it's Christmas, and he's like a, a home invader. He's like on the run from the cops. Yeah. That one was funny as shit. I remember that one. I can't remember the name though, but it was it was great. I can't either. Before. I know what you're talking about. I think it's Surviving Christmas or some shit like that. But uh, yeah, he's he's a good actor. He's uh, like a stand up and shit. Yeah, Sean Patrick Flannery is Max Minot. He appeared in Powder and Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints uh, and a whole bunch of bit parts on TV shows, including Numbers. Charmed, Stargate SG-1, The Outer Limits, and The Young Indiana Jones Chronicle. Yeah, he was young Indy. Not a lot of people know that, but yeah, he's great. He's, uh, I'm, I'm biased and shit because of Boondock. Yeah. But uh, yeah, bit TV character, actor, went on to become like an independent movie, like, uh, you know, favorite. Right. Cool dude. Henry Thomas is Avery Chasen. He appeared in E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Legends of the Fall, and Gangs of New York. Elliot, yeah. Every time I see that kid, I just think of Elliot. Yep. Jay Moore as Brett Campbell. He was the very first host of Last Comic Standing, uh, also starring Gary Unmarried, Are We There Yet? And this is one I hadn't heard of in a long time. 
The Adventures of Pluto Nash. There's a reason. Because <laughs> that movie's done <laughs> awful. And I love awful movies, but that movie, that should be like saved for like criminal punishment or something. You know, two of my favorite comedians made two of the worst movies ever made. The Adventures of Pluto Nash and Leonard Part 6. Yeah, those are both really tough. And they're both kind of the... Not really, because like Pluto Nash, he's like a space hero. But yeah, that's the thing is like if you're a comedian and you make a really bad movie, everybody just expects you to like fucking take it on the chin and walk it off. But it's going to yeah. kill your career. And it's it like, could, yeah, if you're an action star and you do that shit, no big deal. We'll just we'll make another one bigger, you know, bigger body count, more explosions and shit. Well, but. You can't do that with comedy because look, look at like Pluto Nash. I mean, that thing was well, just the, you know, the whole reason behind that when it comes to the action movies, the action movie star typically isn't the guy who developed and and created the, the story. Uh, but with the comedian, yeah, this this is this guy's shot to run the show. And, and look at the giant turd you just laid. I don't know. It's, easy, it's easier if you do that shit early on in career, you know. True, yeah. Because like John Leguizamo made the pest, and that thing was fucking a train wreck and a half. And people and Jay still Moore, like, yeah, Jay Moore did a lot of fucking. Jay turns. Moore He's had a long stand-up career before he got into TV and movies. Um, Jay Moore is actually the guy who convinced Ralphie May to audition for Last Comic Standing. Really? Yeah. Next, we got Jeremy Sisto as TK. Jeremy Sisto, of course, from Clueless, Wrong Turn, all of the FBI series. And just a few episodes ago, he was in May. Yeah, I think I mentioned this movie when we were talking about him in that movie. Uh, here we are. Here we are. Got that one quickly off the list. Yeah, Johnny Galecki is Ira Reader. Uh, Johnny Galecki, of course, uh, was Rusty Griswold in The Christmas Vacation. And Leonard Hofstetter in The Big Bang Theory. Uh, he was Sarah Gilbert's boyfriend, David, in Roseanne. And he also appeared as himself in Entourage. Yeah, I always just remember, I, I just call him David from Roseanne. Yeah. And just everybody on that show just gave him hell, like, shut up, David. <laughs> yeah, he, he was like the second Rusty Griswold, too. Yeah, I remember that. That's a, one of the fun parts about the vacation movies is the kids were played by different actors in every single one of them. Yeah. Next up, we got Frank Medrano as Heckle. He appeared in Sleepers, The Shawshank Redemption, and Torchwood. And Brad Garrett as Jekyll. Brad Garrett, of course, an Emmy Award winner known for Everybody Loves Raymond, Finding Nemo, and those Jimmy John's commercials. Jimmy John's. <laughs> I really like Brad Garrett. He ought to play Herman Munster. Yeah. I think he could do it. I don't know. I mean, he could do it. If anybody's interested. I just think they well, should Brad leave like, the Munsters alone. Like, that and family is doable. Like, because you can do that. But, like, sure. the Munsters. Because I'm, I'm a Munsters fan. And right. I remember, like, every iteration. Like, every iteration. Like, the horrible 80s ones and shit. <laughs> That one time in the 90s when they made like a made-for-TV movie and shit. Uh, so it's like, you know, just leave Herman Munster alone. <laughs> like, no one's going to top Fred Gwynn and shit, you know? That's true. He milked that role for all he could get, though. Or it was pretty much made for him, you know? Right. That's true, too. Everybody else has tried it as, not failed miserably, but they're just doing Fred Gwynn, doing Herman Munster, you know? Movie opens up with old film opening credits and an action film music. A car pulls up and a well-dressed man gets out. This is Charlie Barrett. He comments on Lano's boots. Lano says they're Stingray, and this is what starts a running joke throughout the entire movie about fish boots. Oh, I love that shit. <laughs> that, his, little, his little sidekick, man. His little sidekick got some good lines in this fucking movie. He sure did. Yeah. Charlie enters an upper class uh, establishment where he is apparently very well known and he makes the rounds being greeted by everyone here. 
Uh, but there are a couple of guys sitting at his usual table, and the bartender tries to run them off. Charlie walks over and introduces himself, and the guys recognize him as Cardo- Carlo Bartolucci. These guys introduce themselves as Max Minot and Avery Chasen. Charlie knows Avery's father, who is apparently a wealthy influencer in the area, and they offer to buy Charlie a drink. So he joins these guys that he just met, doesn't know anything about, and they're jerks for sitting in his table and and treating his bartender poorly. Yeah, plus, like, uh, he's an older dude, and they're just a bunch of young punks, you know? Right. Like Maybe yuppies. 22, 23? Yeah. We cut back and forth between the guys getting to know Charlie and the guys practicing a kidnapping with an inflatable sex doll. Yeah. At the bar, Avery mentions that um, they need to meet his father. So Charlie asks for a pen because he could, he's going to write down seven shortcuts for them. Mm. <laughs> and he just starts writing directions to where, to where they're going. Uh, they invite Charlie to go along with him since he mentioned that he has some business he'd like to discuss with Avery's father. And Charlie says, yeah, I haven't had a night out with the guys in a while. I'll go have drinks with you. And he just gets up and leaves with these people. That This is a guy whose life has been threatened I don't know how many times by who knows how many people who are actually capable of killing him. So he just leaves with people that he hasn't vetted that he just met, knows nothing about. Because that would totally happen, right? I don't know. It depends on how much of a badass you are. Like, untouchable. Well, they're driving along, and they enter the Queen's Tunnel, and Charlie wants to know why they're in the Queen's Tunnel, and that's when the shit hits the fan, as the guys in the back seat try to chloroform Charlie. Apparently, they were practicing kidnapping this guy. Except they didn't expect Charlie to fight back, I guess. And they cause a whole bunch of wrecks, end up driving the wrong way down the road. Finally, they inject Charlie with Haldol and knock him out as Avery crashes into the wall of the tunnel. And a semi is barreling towards them. Avery manages to get the car started and moves out of the way just in time to get clipped by the semi, but not killed. And then they drive away. That's the most bumbling. action this movie will have. Period. Yeah. Just that bumbling little car th- scene. And yep. the rest is like a, a dramatic stage play with like the tension just ever so like cutting, like gearing up. Yeah. Well, later Charlie is waking up. They are in what appears to be a very expensive house. And nearby there is a stand with an IV bag. Uh, The guys are all gathered around, and Charlie is tied to a chair with a stupid amount of duct tape. Mm, Avery explains to Charlie that his sister has been kidnapped. Charlie immediately says he's got nothing to do with the kidnapping. But what they think, they know Charlie isn't involved in the kidnapping, but here's their plan. They think Charlie has the connections to get her back and the cash to pay the ransom. Now, Avery's dad is rich. But it's all tied up in stock options. But Charlie probably has the cash to pay the $2 million ransom, so they're going to hold him hostage until he does it. Well, Charlie offers them a chance to walk away from this without getting killed. And this is when he notices that TK, who is in hospital scrubs, has blood on his shirt. And he wants to know where that blood came from. We also see blood starting to drip on the floor next to Charlie's chair. And Avery explains that, well, his father missed the first deadline to pay the $2 million ransom. And when that happened, the kidnappers sent them a package. Brett then interjects to explain that whatever the kidnappers do to Elise, Avery's sister, who has been kidnapped, that these guys are going to do to Charlie. And that's when Charlie finds out that these guys cut his damn finger off. Damn. And Charlie freaks the fuck out, flipping over the chair. There's a ring on the finger that they cut off. They cut off his pinky finger. And there's a ring on there that Charlie says he's only taken off one time. And these guys just just met him. He was a nice enough guy. He didn't 
you know, have him thrown out of the place for refusing to get out of his booth. Offered to go out drinking with him. They duct tape him to a chair and cut his finger off. Cut to Lono and his partner driving at night talking about his expensive fish boots. Apparently he paid $1,500 for those fish boots. You paid $1,500 for fish boots? <laughs> In this economy? <laughs> The thing is, though, Lono is 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 complaining that his wife is spending too much money, and she's giving him crap about spending fifteen hundred dollars for a pair of fish boots. But they're yeah. one of a kind. He does the whole thing like uh, she she does everything and take care of her. I got three pairs of shoes, right? I got like a you know, old bear, boring pair of white Nikes. Uh, you know, I got some loafers, and I bought these. You boots. can't wear those anymore because of OJ. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good yeah that was a good cut back at the house ira shows up this is his parents summer house and he thought the guys were using the house to play poker he is freaking out because his parents are going to be mad about the house and all the rich jewish stereotypes come out at once in this scene oh yeah they it, they because... make like a list of five things and they hit all five things in like one sentence that's right his parents are going to be pissed because there's mud on the floor. They were supposed to take their shoes off. You were going to be here playing poker. What the hell's going on? And uh, yeah, just just nuts. Avery tells Ira about Elise and their plan to kidnap Charlie. And Ira is sure they are all going to be killed now. Ira is t throwing everybody out of the house. When the phone rings, turns out Ira told a couple people that they were going to be over there playing cards, so he maybe invited some folks. Cut back to Lano and his buddy. They are still arguing about the fish boots, only this time he's complaining that his wife spends too much on manicure. Back at the house, Charlie's got to pee, and the guys are arguing over who's going to help him when there is a knock at the door. We're never going to see who's at the door. There's a knock at the door, and then they just ignore it completely. I guess this was an editing issue. There will be a knock at the door later when there's actually somebody there. But I don't think I think this there was something edited out here and we weren't supposed to hear that knock. Like a like a scene cut or like. Yeah. Like, OK. Well, apparently Charlie convinced the guys to let him call somebody. So he calls his lawyer, Marty, who is at dinner at a fine restaurant. Charlie wants Marty to find out who's behind the kidnapping of Elise. They decide rather than give him the phone number to the house, because that'll let him find, figure out where they are, that they're going to use TK's beeper. And Charlie also tells Marty to get a hold of Lano. We immediately cut to Lano, who is stopped at a traffic light as a guy squeegees his window and Lano is trying to chase him off. This is my favorite interaction with Lano, because this is Lano trying to run off a homeless guy, and his busket. Yeah. Oh, man. I love that guy. Uh, the guy that plays the, the homeless guy. Yeah. He's he's like probably one of my favorite voice actors. That's uh, Toby Huss. He, he's done voices on uh, King of the Hill. He's done voices on uh, The Venture Brothers. He used to be on this show on Nickelodeon called Adventures of Pete and Pete, where he played uh, Artie, the strongest man in the world. Oh, he's, he's been on. He used to do uh, the MTV bumps. Speaking of, like you know, oh, dude nice. doing MTV. Yeah, he, he used to do Frank Sinatra drunk on the MTV bump. Okay. Yeah, Toby Huss, <laughs> great guy. I'm a big yeah. fan of his. I, I love his, all his work. Well, Lano gives this guy five hundred dollars for his busket. <laughs> Damn. All right, and I don't know, know if that was just a if that was just something that he. He mispronounced accidentally, or maybe he thought about mispronouncing it, and Dennis Leary just went with it. But I love it. No, that that was totally something Toby Huss would have thought of the cuff, and then a yeah, Dennis Leary, yeah, because <laughs> Toby Huss is crazy like that. He used to do shit on Reno Nine One One that would uh -huh. have everybody on that show just losing their shit. Yeah. Okay, so busket was a thing that he just said in the moment, and Dennis Leary ran with it. Oh, yeah. It was great. He said, I'm going to give you $500 for your busket. Go get you something to eat, get a hotel, get cleaned up. 
And I don't yeah. want to see you or your busket out here again. <laughs> yes. That's great. So so the guy's real grateful, you know, and he's gonna he's gonna leave and and Lano's feeling good about himself. Look, I just helped this guy out. And he steps off the curb right into a pool of filth in his fifteen hundred dollar yeah, fish boots. So counting if they were dollars and a five hundred dollar busket. Yeah, his, his partner does some real quick math. He says, you know, fifteen hundred dollars for the boots and five hundred dollars for the busket, you're down two grand now. <laughs> <laughs> this one's gonna be pissed. Well, Marty calls Lano and tells him what's going on with Charlie. Back at the house, Charlie wants a drink. TK tries to convince him that's a bad idea because Charlie's on painkillers, but Charlie is using small talk to fish out information about the guys. We also discover here that TK is a secret addict. Yeah. Whatever it is he's given Charlie for pain, he's also injecting into himself in the bathroom. Yeah. The the doctor kid likes his medical bag a little too much. Yes, yes, he does. When Marty calls the beeper, he knows how to find the guys who kidnapped Elise. They are really bad at being criminals, it seems. Or Marty's very well connected in the underworld because everybody knows each other, right? Uh, connections are connections, man. Yeah. Cut to Heckle and Jekyll talking to somebody at what looks like a showbiz pizza. These guys are straight-up psychos. They never say their names in the movie. This is the credited names. And yeah. it's, uh, it fits. They're kind of comic relief, three stooges, bad guys. Yeah, they're like greasy chuckle fucks that just always are laughing. And, you know, they got bad intentions behind their eyes, you know. Well, kid runs up to the table and shoots Jekyll in the face with a water pistol. So Jekyll pulls out an actual real gun and he's going to kill the kid. <laughs> like a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> oh, God, that's so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but like we've all been there. Some kid like you're at a Chuck E. Cheese or something. You're like at a cousin's birthday party or something. Yeah. And a kid like, kicks you in the shin. Or yeah, like, squirts you in the face water. You know, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that kid out. Yep. Marty also tells Charlie that one of the guys who kidnapped him is in on the kidnapping of Elise. Dun, there, dun, is dun. An, there is an inside player. So this is where, when I first watched the movie, like the little hairs on my neck stood up. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. Yeah. I was going to turn yeah. this shit off, but now you got me hooked. This is where the hook comes in. And see, this is where Charlie goes from completely unbelievable retired mob boss to this guy knows what he's doing and he's going to fuck shit up. Yeah. It's like um, if, if Sherlock Holmes is going to whack a guy. Yes. Yeah. He, it's like Charlie is on the clock now. And you can, and Christopher Walken, you can see him like turn that on and yes. you can see the gears move too, the way he does it, like the little things he yeah. does. The little eye shift from one side of the room to the other. He's he's playing this shit really good. Yeah, that's one thing Christopher Walken can do is he can emote really well. And what's going on inside his head comes out on his face just perfectly. Oh, yeah. That's one of the reasons I don't like Charlie Sheen. He has a single expression for everything, no matter what. It's like that's, he was Botoxed at birth. That's the reason why you don't like Charlie Sheen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like a, I like a quick dozen, but we'll go with that one. Well, that was the first reason I didn't like Charlie okay. Sheen. Yeah, no. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no. well, yeah. <laughs> Back at the pizza place, Heckle and Jekyll are explaining to their unseen friend that he owes Antoine a bunch of money and hasn't paid any of it back. But they settled his debt for him, and now he owes them. And the person they're talking to gets up from the table, runs into the bathroom, and pukes. But not before almost puking on a kid sitting on the toilet. That's the same kid that shot him in the face with the squirt gun. It is. It is. Well, Charlie tells the guys that they found the people who, who kidnapped Elise, and Elise is okay. They roll Charlie to the liquor cabinet uh, to get him a drink. They're not going to let him out of the chair, but... Fortunately, it's got wheels, and they'll roll him across the hardwood. No problem. 
Ira freaks out again because his dad marks the level on the liquor bottles at the end of every summer before they leave. So he knows if anybody's been in the house stealing his maker's mark, you know, you can't be too careful with a mid-level bottle of whiskey. <laughs> then neighborhood security comes to the door. Nobody is supposed to be in this house. And the security <laughs> guard, he wants the password. As the guys gag Charlie and roll, try to roll him out of sight, uh, Ira opens the door. He goes, holy shit, what is that? And points behind the guard to get him to turn around. And and the, the fellas in the room, they, they roll Charlie by. It's kind of a Scooby-Doo moment. A security guard wants the password, and Ira can't remember the password. He knows it's got something to do with the golf. So the rent-a-cop is calling this in to uh, his dispatcher. Ira finally remembers the password, but the cop still needs to do a walkthrough of the house because an alarm was triggered. That part where he, he gets the password finally, he starts screaming and jumping up and down like he won. <laughs> double uh, bogey, motherfucker. Right. Yeah, double bogey, motherfucker. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I won. It's, it, 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 he does. He seems like some guy on a game show just won a car. Yeah, he does. It's fucking funny <laughs> shit. It's like, you didn't win anything. You're still in trouble. <laughs> like, chill out. Yeah. Yeah, because apparently an alarm, not only were there lights in a closed house, but there was also an alarm from an upstairs bedroom. We'll find out why in a minute. Yeah. Back at the lounge from earlier in the night where the guys met Charlie, Lono is asking the bartender about Charlie and who he was with, and the bartender apparently has everything written down. Mm -hmm. He tells Lono that Charlie left with some kids, and one of the guys was sweet on Jennifer. Apparently, Jennifer is an escort that works at this lounge. Back at the house, the rent-a-cop almost catches them. He hears something in another room, and he wants to go in there. But when they open the door, it's just the guys playing cards, and Charlie is nowhere in sight. So the rent-a-cop leaves. Meanwhile, Heckle and Jekyll are at their apartment watching TV. They're arguing over the TV channel. Heckle wants to watch cartoons, some really horrible Rankin Bass nonsense. Yeah. And Jekyll is watching golf. Yeah. Double bogey, motherfucker. <laughs> so Heckle wants him to change the channel back. Jekyll's not going to do it. So Heckle pulls a gun and puts it to his head, puts it to Jekyll's head. He finally hands over the remote. But Jekyll's pissed off because he missed the beginning of the cartoon. He's going to go out and get him some smokes. And as soon as he walks out the door, Jekyll grabs the gun and takes all the bullets out of it. Because we're not going through that shit again. That guy's crazy. Yeah. Back at the house, Charlie wants info to help catch the kidnappers. He's actually fishing for details about the guys because I think he's going to kill them. Oh, yeah. It turns out Max and Elise were hooking up on Max's dad's yacht. They've got a Romeo and Juliet type scenario. For whatever reason, their families don't get along. Or her dad hates Brett or something. Or hates Max. Max explains that they were out driving around. They were trying to get somewhere uptown. And they got lost. So... Elise wanted to make out in the parked car while they were parked in the rain, lost. This is when Max asks Elise to marry him, and she says yes. That's when kidnappers pull up behind him, grab her, and knock him out, and leaving him unconscious on the ground in the rain. There are some obvious questions here, but they're not going to be asked yet. But they will be asked and answered later on. In a flashback. <laughs> The great thing about this movie is there aren't any loose ends. Oh, yeah, no, they they totally deliver on everything that they set up in this movie. And I, I right. think that's why it's such a great, great movie. The a lot unbelievable parts are, are over with, and it's good from here on out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. This is, this is, this is good from, from, from here on because there are no loose ends. There are no plot holes. It's just... Uh, it's just a mobster movie from here on. Yeah. What's weird, though, it, it, it kind of plays like a fucking cop procedural. Kind of, yeah. Instead of having cops, they're mafia guys. So instead of, like, locking the guys up at the end of the day, you know, and case closed, they're going to kill them. Right. 
which I, I love that. I think that's cool as fuck. Yep. Like a little twist on a fucking formula, you know? Well, Charlie's not feeling so good. They need to elevate his arm because he's feeling nauseous. Personally, I think he's got a fever. And the uh. only cure is more cowbell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they got to untie Charlie's arm. Um, they're not worried about him escaping. Brett has a gun. That's the gun from Ira's parents' bedroom. And that's what set off the alarm that brought the security guard in. How did you know about the gun? And that's when Brett says, look, every summer when we come over here, you have to show us the gun. Of course we knew there was a gun. <laughs> yeah, it's not been a show up. So the guys, the guys get Charlie's arm elevated and he wants another drink. Charlie is really just making small talk, trying to talk them into uh, letting him go. And uh, to get more information out of him, he reveals that he sends the guys off to get to get him a drink of water. And he's left there with TK. And that's when he lets TK know that. Well, Charlie lets TK know that he's figured out that TK is an addict. So Charlie is Charlie's figuring these guys out pretty easily. Oh, yeah. And turns out he's a pretty good judge of character. This where he starts picking them apart and starts playing them against each other. Because this right. is where he starts playing. See, he got him, he got one of them alone. So he's going to work on one. And that one's going to start, you know, going to his side, start, you know, giving the other one shit. Also, yep. yeah, they picked the, uh, the, the junkie one first because that's probably going to like the weakest link. He didn't want to have right. really anything to do with this. He's just helping out his buddies and shit. Yeah, the, the addict is always going to be the easiest to manipulate. So Charlie lets TK know that uh, one of the guys, one of his friends, is in on the kidnapping. There is an inside player. Well, TK is suspicious of everybody now. The guys are in the kitchen uh, where they should be getting Charlie a glass of water, but instead they're gathered around a table making jokes and rolling a joint. And that's when TK explains that, you know, Charlie is an alcoholic. That means he's damaged his liver. That means he might have a vitamin K deficiency, which can make it harder for blood to clot. So Charlie could actually bleed out on him. Lono arrives at Jennifer's apartment. Her stepdad is an abusive asshole who apparently molests her since she's an escort. Maybe he thinks he's entitled to some free. Lono wants to talk to her stepdad because it's pretty obvious that He's hit Jennifer pretty recently. Uh, he explains to Jennifer's stepdad that his own dad was abusive also. And when he saw that his father had beaten his mother, he found that his step his uh, dad passed out. And he went and got his baseball bat. And he beat the crap out of him. And he's going to do the same to this guy if he ever touches Jennifer again. But this guy won't listen. He says, Are you done now? And Lano says, yeah, I'm done. He says, get the hell out of my house and send that whore back in there. I want another taste. So Lano picks up the toaster and beats the shit out of him with it. He does apologize taste. later for, for yeah. damaging the toaster. Yeah, but uh, that guy, yeah, big piece of shit. I'm glad he got his face caved in with that toaster. Yeah. Also, you know, toasters, man. They're not just toasters for Toasters are awesome. Yeah, you can sling one real hard. What by the cord? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as she's le- as he's leaving, Jennifer tells Lano about Avery, Max, and Brett, who are friends of hers. Back at the house, Charlie is now talking to Max. Max is explaining why Elisa's parents hate him. Uh, Charlie tries to convince Max to let him go, and that's when the power goes out due to a lightning strike. So Ira and TK head outside to find the fuse box. They're kind of annoyed that Ira doesn't know where the fuse box is in his own damn house. But why would he need to know that? He's rich. Yeah. TK tells Ira once they're outside that Charlie told him there's an inside player. And Ira wants to try to figure out who the rat is so they can convince Charlie to just take it out on that guy and maybe... Maybe let them off with just a warning because 
Yeah, Tony Soprano would definitely let somebody off with a warning. Yeah, this is where shit starts getting a little crazy. Everybody starts, the pieces start shaking <laughs> on the game board, you know. Back inside the house, the power's back on. Ira is rolling Charlie around. He's going to take him to a different room, and he's he's sucking up all the way. He is definitely kissing Charlie's ass. So he rolls him over to the fireplace because Charlie says he wants to talk to Brett, which freaks Brett the fuck out. Cut to Marty talking to Lydia. Lydia, of course, played by Laura San Giacomo. He wants information related to the kidnapping. Uh, apparently, she uh, employs the escorts at the club. She's also Charlie's ex. <coughs> Lydia explains how she met Charlie in the 70s when she was with a guy named Nick the Nose. I get a flashback to Charlie wearing a suit like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, but with hair like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, man. That him and uh, <laughs> that whole scene that does come out of uh, nowhere. Cause like <laughs> he kind of looks like oh man, like like a baboon dressed up for like in a seventies funky disco party. And he loves to dance. Yeah. <laughs> well, look who it is. He's trying I to mean, do the Saturday night fever dance, you know. You know what the weird thing about Christopher Walken is, right? What's that? He got his start in musical theater. So yes, he yes, classically he did. trained singer and dancer stage yep. perform. So if he gets something in where he can like move, he damn well he's gonna fucking put the moves on. I mean, you look at it, you know, he's by training a singer and dancer, but by choice, a little bit of a clown. Oh yeah, no. Uh in some of his most serious roles, you'll laugh your ass off at him. There's a couple <laughs> times in the Deer Hunter, I just I, I bust open in the fucking chuckles because I I, I just, it was like, like, and that's a fucking serious movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But he'll, he'll do, he'll say something and he'll smile and you're like, motherfucker. <laughs> well, Nick is uh, going to kill Lydia for buying a 500 pair of shoes, $500 pair of shoes with money that should have gone to him. But Charlie intervened. Nick's going to let her off, but he wants Charlie's ring. So Charlie gives it to him. Then Charlie walks into the restroom where Nick is standing at the urinal and Charlie just shoots him right, shoots him dead, blows him away in the toilet. That was the one time Charlie took his ring off. Lydia gives Marty a card and tells him to start looking there. Then Marty calls Lano and tells him the kidnappers are laundering the money through Barrio Benny. Some of the names of the bad guys in this are hilarious. Yeah, Hecko and Jekyll, Mario and Benny, like everything's like <laughs> almost cartoony, you know? A little bit, yeah. Cut to Ira and Max. Ira wasn't supposed to tell anybody about the inside player, so of course he tells Max. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lano and his buddy are at a strip club, and Lano has a golf club. They are here to beat down Barrio Benny. And, you know, this is what is great about this strip club. I mean, it looks like the same booth, the same place uh, that, that we started the movie in. It's, it's the same bar with a different camera angle and different lighting. Yeah, the lighting totally makes this scene. Yep. And they just walk through the place with a, a golf club, walk up to Barrio Benny, and start playing a tune on him with that golf club. Of course... It's a uh, carbon fiber golf club, which makes it kind of flexible. And Lano says he's going back to using steel clubs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Barrio Benny, Barrio Benny doesn't have any names, but he does have a phone number. So he gives them that and Lano and his partner leave. Marty calls Heckle and Jekyll and tells them that he represents an interested party and they are ready to pay. The ransom, uh, give him a couple hours and he will call them back to set up the exchange. Heckle says, okay, and hangs up the phone. Jekyll asks him who it was and he says, yeah, there's the wrong number. Man then finally <laughs> admits, I'm breaking your balls. Plan's working. 
and they do. It's almost like they uh, start laughing and jumping up and down, hugging each other or something. Yeah, they get up doing the little victory. Two million dollars. Yeah. Shaking their like uh, knees and like waving their hands up in the air and shit. But yeah, they're two like scummy slumbags that finally got a winning ticket. Yep. Well, Avery and TK are talking on the stairs. Avery is freaked out about cutting Charlie's finger off. Apparently, this got a whole lot realer than he ever thought it would. Uh, Lano and his buddy, meanwhile, are still talking about the fish boot. Uh. They're not doing anything here. It's just kind of uh, comic relief banter. Back at the house, Ira is refilling the liquor bottles with water. Uh, He's still worried (laughs) about what his parents are going to think. That never works, man. It never works. It never does, no, no. Charlie convinces the guys to play poker with him. Brett will not play. No fraternizing with the enemy, apparently. And this is where Charlie reads the entire table. He explains, you know, you know the cards, the cards are just dumb luck. Because they were given Ira crap about his rules for the next hand, where he had, like, four, five, six different wild cards. Yeah. And Charlie explains, you know, the cards are dumb luck. You win at poker by being able to read your opponent. It doesn't actually matter what your cards are. And so he makes the rounds of the table, sizing everybody up. Apparently, Ira is an open book. His eyes don't wander. He has an an incorrigible sense of fair play. And so if he bets something, it's because he has something. And if he folds, it's because he didn't have any. Avery is having second thoughts because his integrity gets in the way of the ruthlessness that he needs to pull off a job like this. Brett is a control junkie who won't leave anything to chance, and that's why he won't play cards with him. That's a great scene. Yeah. It really is. Uh, Brett has had enough, so he leaves. And Charlie goes, I thought he'd never leave. Now we can finally talk. That. But they tell Charlie that he's got Brett wrong. And they're going to tell a story about a recent trip to Atlantic City. But they don't like the way Ira tells stories, so Max is going to tell the story instead. Apparently, they were all losing at Blackjack except for Brett, who was up $20,000. So the casino brought in a new dealer called the, the Widowmaker. Oh man, yeah, this guy, and I love this guy and everything he's been in. Uh, people yeah. under the years, that fucking stupid ass Polly Shore movie where uh, was that Polly Shore? No, uh, it was Jim Barney where he goes to jail or something. Ernest no, goes to jail. Shore. No, it was, it was the Polly Shore one where uh, jury duty. Oh, okay, yeah. They that guy played the serial killer that he was uh, trying to put away. But yeah, this guy's a great actor. I love him everything he's in. Yeah. The Widowmaker is a dealer who somehow magically cools off hot tables. And in a few minutes, Brett has lost twenty four thousand dollars and borrowed more on top of that. Only and to like lose in, it all. In like fifteen minutes. Yeah. Like you know, top of the world and then fucking be under the fucking world. It reminds me of the blackjack dealer in Vegas vacation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they usually got those. They, they, they call them coolers. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? The guy that played uh, Frank from uh, Shameless. Yeah. Um, he was in a, William uh, H. Macy. William H. Macy. He was in a great movie just called The Cooler. And it was like, you know, four hours of a story about a guy that just did that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely reminds me of Wallace Shawn in Vegas Vacation. This this guy is smug and taunting them the whole time. Oh, yeah. And that's that's why it reminds me of that. He's like, tell you what, Griswold, why don't we go out back? You give me all your money. I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it even. (laughs) That guy is super smug, though. Yeah, I like him. He's super smug. Me too. I love my dinner, Andre, Princess Bride. Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah, it was. He's fucking, he was the Grand name? Nagus. Yes, right. God, yeah, dude. Oh, man. Everybody goes, <laughs> it always goes back to Star Trek with us, man. Always. That Power Rangers, but mostly Star Trek because we're Trekkies and shit. So, yeah. That's what you think. Yeah. 
Well, Charlie starts poking holes in this story because apparently after Brett lost all of his money, lost $20,000, he took them all out and dropped $200 on a steak dinner for them all. Damn. Then he starts complaining that his arm hurts, so TK unties it to elevate it, just as Brett comes back into the room and freaks the hell out because why are you untying him? Ira and TK confront Brett about how he planned to pay back the money that he lost in in Atlantic City, and they're thinking that maybe he is the inside player. So now Charlie is uh, really turned up the heat on turning these guys against each other. Avery wants to reevaluate the plan and just let Charlie go. TK says he needs uh, to get to a hospital. So the group is definitely starting to fall apart, and Charlie's watching this, lapping it up like homemade ice cream. Oh, yeah. Brett just wants to punish Charlie. Brett tells a story about Charlie's neighbors who had barking dogs, and the Charlie went over there and asked him to do something about the dogs, but they wouldn't. And every night the dogs were barking, but then one night the dogs weren't barking. And uh, a week later, the cops showed up to do a wellness check on the neighbors, and they found the dogs eating steak, but the neighbors were never found. Now, Charlie does admit that he does know some shady people who could locate the people responsible for kidnapping Elise. With just a single phone call, um, he also says that you know, with with a uh, single phone call, I could also have people over here in thirty minutes who could turn your ass into mincemeat, <laughs> human-sized steak. But he's kept his word, and then he tells the real story about the neighbors. It had nothing to do with the barking dogs. That family had done something vicious to Charlie's family in the past. And Charlie evened the score. And that wasn't steak the dogs were eating. That was the neighbors the dogs were eating. Damn. This is the part where the kids totally realize they fucked up. Oh, yeah. uh, Stumbling old, uh, lovable old man mask drops. And behind it's just this shark. And They're they're feeling the that's what I'm saying. Like this movie is like they took a bunch of dynamite, put it in a pressure cooker, and then put it on real low. Yeah, and you just watch it explode. You know. Yeah, it, it's it has hit them just the magnitude of how fucked they truly are. Marty calls and he tells Charlie the exchange is all set up. He's gonna front Charlie two million dollars, and Elise will be dropped off at a hospital. Uh, Charlie's in but only if the guys agree to his terms. His driver is going to pick him up out front. He's going to drive away, and then the exchange will take place, and they can pretend they never met. They're not so cool. Ira's not so cool about uh, them coming to the house, so they set it up that Lano will meet him at the Middlebury Inn, which is a nearby hotel. Marty wants to know how to get there, and everybody's trying to give conflicting directions, but Matt knows exactly how to get there from uptown and gives Marty one of several routes to get there without hesitating. Dun, dun, he, knows, dun. he knows the uptown area like a taxi driver, and Charlie comments on that. Charlie tells a story about how he once got lost in uptown in the area that Max seems to know so very well. And that's when Charlie ties in the story Max told about the kidnap kidnapping when getting lost uptown. Max says, hey, you got lost up there yourself. You know how it is. And Charlie says, yeah, but I was eight years old at the time. Uh, caught him. Got him. Got him. And that's when Charlie asked the obvious question that I've been wondering about since the beginning of this movie. If Max and Elise were lost, how the hell did the kidnappers find him? Charlie may have figured things out. He thinks that Max worked with Heckle and Jekyll to get money from Charlie to pay off Max's gambling debt. And he might be right. Charlie convinces Max to tell his friends he's sorry and uh, that Charlie was right about him. He wears Max down. He just keeps, tell him you're sorry, tell him you're sorry. And finally, it just gets to be too much. And Max says, I'm sorry. 
Well, Brett decks Max right then, and he wants TK to get his bone saw, and they're going to cut off Brett. They're going to cut off Max's finger because they cut off the wrong guy's finger. They are about to cut off Max's finger when Avery admits that it wasn't Max, it was him. Turns out Avery lost $50,000 betting on basketball game. But then Antoine just said his debt was settled up, and he sent Heckle and Jekyll to make a deal with him. And Avery went along with the deal because they assured him that nobody was going to get hurt Plus, if he didn't go along with them, they were going to kill him. <laughs> and this is where Ira finally loses his shit. Yeah. Little man goes off. He's breaking everything he can find. All of his parents' heirloom possessions. <laughs> Including a massive vase. <laughs> yeah. A comically large vase. It looks like something out of, like, a fucking museum or something. Like, they got, like, all these, like, like the... David's head, you know, Michelangelo's yeah. David's head, and like that face, and they got like peacock feathers sticking out of it and shit. It's like one of those nice, like uppity, richy houses. And yeah, he just starts ripping up. Well, not the whole thing, but like just that, like one little corner near the fire uh, place. He's just like right wherever he was standing. He's like fuck this, and he's like picking up, beating one thing with the other thing. And so Charlie has successfully completely dismantled this group. Oh yeah. But what they don't know yet is that Lano is right outside the house. Inside, Ira has calmed down again. Uh, only because they taped him to a chair. They taped him to a chair. So yeah, he's sitting like, right next to Charlie, duct taped to an armchair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but also, they, they gagged his mouth. So Right. Yeah. <laughs> but before they did that, hey, come on, guys. I'm fine now. I got it out of my system. I'm good. You can just let me go. And that's when they tape over they his mouth. The, yeah, they put the tape over his mouth. At that point. <laughs> it's funny as shit because he's like ripping the place apart, right? And they cut it to what's his name outside. Right. In the mud and shit in his boots and uh, in his fish boots. And then, yeah, it comes back and then both of them are taped to chairs. And it's like <laughs> a little... uh levity to break up the fucking seriousness shit right well the power goes out again and tk goes outside to flip the circuit breaker while marty gives instructions for the exchange to heckle heckle and jekyll have uh, a little conversation about whether or not anybody remembered to feed their hostage mm. they're setting up a moment that doesn't really sell but you know they're gonna try it anyway yeah Back at the house, Lano pulls a gun on TK and orders him inside the house where he finally sees the mess that is this ransom plot. <laughs> Charlie's got a gun on TK. Brett is pointing a gun, or not Charlie. Lano has a gun on TK. Brett is pointing a gun at Lano, both of them telling the other one to put their gun down. And neither one of them's going to do it. Lano looks to Charlie and says, what do you want me to do? And Charlie points to Brett and says, shoot him. So Lano instantly shoots Brett in the knee. Mm. Uh, Charlie says they're going to let him walk out now. Everything goes on like nothing changed. He'll still pay the ransom and get Avery's sister back. Uh, Lano's tired of waiting, and he fires a shot into the ceiling that stops all their bickering. Max is going to let Charlie go, but before he can... Avery pulls a gun on him, and then something happened that we don't see. It just cuts to everybody walking Charlie and Lano out to their car, and Ira's still kissing ass all the way out. Yeah, he, he puts the, the thumb in a, like, a little Tupperware of ice, and it's like, here, man. That's uh, very really fresh could... ice. That's very yeah. fresh ice. I just made that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Italian ice is very fancy. Yes. It's like dusting the dust or whatever off his fucking jacket, uh, his shoulders and shit. Yep. The whole time, uh, the mafia guy and Avery are both got guns pointed at each other, walking them out down the, uh, the driveway. Yeah. Well, as they leave, Marty calls Charlie. Charlie says the plan is still on, 
And Avery runs off to the hospital to meet his sister. TK leaves to call his girlfriend. And Ira is left standing there on the sidewalk, wondering who's going to help him clean up the mess. Cut to Avery running through the hospital to pick up his sister, but she isn't there. Not only that, she's never been. Charlie and Lano are dry are uh, leaving somewhere. Charlie has his hand bandaged up properly now, and Lano explains that Elise never made it to the hospital. Yeah, it's a tough business, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. things don't go right. But they are going to go recover their money from Heckle and Jekyll, who are still watching cartoons. <laughs> the landlord doesn't say a word. She just unlocks their apartment door and leaves. She knows what's going on. Oh, yeah. She knows, she knows the score. <laughs> she knows she's going to have to hire somebody to clean up the fucking mess when this is done. She's probably grateful. You know, I mean, they're probably like really shitty tenants. I mean, you've seen the apartment, like, yeah, it's but just there's going like to be blood on the hardwood. Granted, yeah, no. I just put some yeah. carpet in it. Yeah, probably so. It's not like there were smokers or anything. Meanwhile, a cab drops a woman off at a pier back at Heckle and Jekyll's apartment. They start questioning what happened. You know, why didn't things go right? And uh, Heckle's, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. So Lano shoots Jekyll. And Charlie explains, every time you give me an answer that I don't like, that guy's going to get shot again. They want to know where the girl is, and Heckle is trying to explain that there never was a girl. They never kidnapped anybody. It was just supposed to look like they did. And Lano kind of cuts his explanation off short by shooting Heckle and Jekyll both in the head. Then he walks over to the bedroom. This is where they thought Elise was being kept. They had that conversation earlier about did either one of them remember to feed her? And he opens up, Lano opens up the door, looks inside and shakes his head. A cat walks out of the room. Turns out there was nobody in the room at all. Heckle was telling the truth. They didn't kidnap anybody. They just pretended to. I don't know whose finger they sent. Probably the guy with the bucket. You want a finger, Mike? I can get you a finger, man. <laughs> I don't know witness. about a finger. I do want a shrunken head, though. Like real or? I would love to have a real shrunken head. All right, I'll I'll call some guys. Let's see what I can strum up. <laughs> Lano goes in the bathroom and finds the suitcase, and it doesn't feel like all the money's in there. So they are going to uh, they're going to figure out where the rest of their money is. Meanwhile, the mystery woman on the dock is Elise, and she is there to meet Max, and they hop on Max's dad's yacht. When Lano tells Charlie that the suitcase feels kind of light, we get a flashback to Max meeting with Heckle and Jekyll. Turns out that they bought Avery's gambling debt, and Max has a plan that they can all get a lot more money, but they can't tell Avery about it. They are going to split the $2 million, and Elise and Max will take the rest of the money and disappear. Oh, and Elise is in on the plan, too. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. We get a flyover drone shot to the yacht. Max is taking a swim, and when he climbs up the ladder back onto the boat, there on the railing sits Charlie's ring. Seems Charlie and Lano have caught up to him. Charlie wants to know where the money is, and Max doesn't even bother to argue. He's, I'll get it. And he gets a duffel bag full of cash. Uh, that's where we find out that this whole thing was Elise's idea. Sure, Shayla film, man. Yep. So Lano shoots them both. We get another flyover shot that shows Lano and Charlie on the yacht and roll credit. Roll credit. That is a good one, man. Uh- there were a couple other endings to this movie where, um, you know, they kind of gave them a happy ending and audiences hated it. So they went with this one, which is the right way to end it. Oh, yeah. No, you don't build up like that, not have it pay off. Yeah. If, if Also, if, you don't if, you don't ahead. disfigure a mafia boss and steal a million dollars from him and get a you know what? It's young love. I get it. Yeah. No. It's uh, I like I like the ending. Uh, it's like if they had went with the happy ending and they like went off, you know, and like lived in Brazil or some shit on a boat. 
that would have sucked ass. That'd have been like blue balls. You would have got a blue right. ball movie. And in yeah. this one, you get closure. You're like, I don't want a sequel to this movie. In a lot of movies, it's like, no, I want to keep going. You know, I want to see where these people go. I want to see what the uh, consequences were from the, the decision that they made in the movie. This one, right? You get everything in one box, and it's neatly wrapped, and uh, it's uh, artis- uh, artistically uh, well done and uh, pleasing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You, 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 everything, every part of this story that you care about is wrapped up in the end. You know, the only thing that we don't find out is what do Ira's parents do when they come back to the summer house? But nobody cares, so it's fine. Yeah. Everything else is wrapped up in a neat little package, and it's the right way to end it. And this was a really good movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it got, like, a little bit of praise and shit when it came out, but not much. Like, it, it won some, like, awards, I think, and then went straight to video. I right. don't remember hearing about it in the theaters, but, like, I thank God it went to video because, like, no one was seeing this movie in the theater. Uh, right. It's not like a Hollywood movie. It's, it's totally from that independent, like, late 90s, you know. That's, that's, I mean, so many great movies came out of that one. I mean, movies that, that a studio today would never make. No, nah, but they want that same, you know, they want that same praise and shit, but they won't, they won't take the time to put it, or uh, exactly. the balls to, like, oh, no, you know what? Let's kill the couple at the end of the movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, man, I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah, man. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at cdfpod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to patreon.com slash cdfpod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.